Hey everyone, Luca Opliger here, the founder and host of the Armed and Generous podcast. When it comes to starting businesses and launching new technologies, we all have a choice to either make them pure profit or to add in an element of purpose. This is true for existing businesses as well, because both can coexist, but it takes intention and a carefully crafted approach to really pull it off. This is the future of doing business because purpose drives profit. Whether you're a little startup or you're a giant Fortune 500 company, this applies to both of you. You know, I think about Armed and Generous, and this is at the very core of what this podcast is all about. My heart is that more and more people would hear about this approach and start to adopt it no matter where they work or what their title might be. So here's my ask. Will you help me get the word out about Armed and Generous? Will you like this episode on LinkedIn? Will you share it with your network? I really appreciate that. You know, the mission of Armed and Generous is to equip, encourage, and engage those to create incremental impact for profit business. The more that we hear, the more that hopefully this mindset will shift for people, for planet, and for profit. You know, one example of this new way of doing business is this episode's guest, Calvin Cooper. He's an award-winning venture capitalist turned entrepreneur who took his years of VC experience with FinTech, blockchain, and smart city technology, and is leveraging that to develop and launch an incredible new concept called Rove, R-H-O-V-E, which empowers everyone to invest in and own real estate, not just a handful of developers and investors. He says it's like the Robin Hood of real estate. He's a 40 under 40, visionary award-winning NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center Advisory Board member, and he's just getting started. Let's get into the episode. I think it's it's kind of fun to to kind of hear back accomplishments and kind of think through, hey, here are these things that show up on LinkedIn or maybe play nicely uh, in a you know Christmas card to mom or kind of feel good. But I know that that life can have its twists and turns. And I was kind of peeking, well, probably more creeping. Uh, totally on your LinkedIn profile. And I kept clicking a button that said more experiences, more experiences. And I feel like it kept unlocking different parts of your story. Uh, and it's, it's easy to look at a LinkedIn profile and say, wow, man, this guy went from being a venture capitalist to starting his own company. And before that, he graduated from college. He had a, a job at a school. But I, I know that those, those twists and turns are never, never straight lines right? It's never, it's never A to B. So I wanted to see if you could give us a sense of kind of how you got your start, how you went from, hey, I graduated from college. You're standing there, you know, the tassel in your face, your mom's taking a picture of you and you're like, cool. How do you go from that to first job and then first job to the VC world? Yeah, it's funny because um, a lot of people get caught up in titles or things that could be put in a LinkedIn profile, but so much of life, so much of our journey is really in the failures. There really should be like a failure resume. Um, <laughs> I love that. And that I think would tell so much more of the, the real story for everyone. Um, and kind of how I approach things, I don't think about like the titles or um, like uh, a, a certain career path. It's more about um, love for the journey, love for what I'm doing. Um, and you're, you're mentioning how do you go from college to your first job? It's really about uh, making your next best, your, your next step, your best step. But more importantly, um, focusing on doing what you're doing right now in an excellent way. Um, and so 
that's kind of like what I'm always caught up in. I'm always caught up in solving some problem that's right in front of me um, and being wrapped up in that. Um, and that leads to the next um, thing and the next thing. And so um, there's this saying that um, but social capital precedes financial capital and vice versa. And so often uh, people are caught up in the, the vice versa. Like I don't have X resource or X thing. The, the goal seems so far away. And uh, a better approach is this, just to do what you're doing right now. Whatever you're doing right now could be done in a way that's um, magnificent and awesome and inspires others. And um, that will build, it will build both your capabilities, but also your credibility and will unlock the next door. I love that. I love that. Yeah, kind of in, in the spirit of, of this discussion, walk us through a bit how, how you went from kind of first job out of college then to the VC world. Because I, it, it seems like it's one of those aspects of the business world that feels pretty closed off. You know, you can't just roll up to a VC office and be like, hey, what's up, guys? Like, you know, I come hire me. You know, it feels like it's a pretty sought after, a pretty closed in group. What was that like for you? How did you get your foot in that door? And, and then what was that journey like? Yeah, again, um, it really starts with a love for a craft or a thing. Oftentimes, I remember being a VC and hiring interns or other associates. And um, often people are like, I want to be a VC. And it's like, why is the first question? Um, because often people don't really want to be a VC. They, they want to they want to sit in a room and, and do the 1% of the job thing. That's the perception of the job. But really it's like the Olympic sport of finance. And so it takes uh, a, a lot of dedication to do it well. And you don't even know if you're doing the job well for years, for years to come. And so um, often the, the uh, path into venture capital is going to some Ivy League school, um, then working at an investment bank and then getting recruited in as an associate, or uh, maybe you worked at a, a startup that grew and had an amazing outcome and um, you built relationships and credibility um, and you were recruited in um, for, for your skills and experience, or you were a founder who exited the company and you, you um, joined a venture firm but I didn't have any of those things. <laughs> and so my, my path then was um, really just one of curiosity. And, and like I said before, focusing on solving a problem in front of me. And um, at the time I worked at the Ohio Supplier Development Council and or Ohio Minority Supplier Development Council. We helped our corporate members um, and seek and engage, certify, develop and connect with minority owned companies. And these are, um, multi-hundred million dollar petroleum companies on one end, uh, $50 million a year paper companies um, on another, and then some startups, some people who are starting companies um, that compete for corporate contracts and get in the RFP process. Uh, and so I was just curious um, and wanted to see how much revenue these firms were generating a year because nobody had looked in our database to to see or publish that research. And that led to publishing an economic impact report and then um, thinking through how might we help these companies achieve scale and get to the next level uh, because tens of millions of dollars 
millions of dollars of revenue sounds nice, um, but in, in these industries, so often uh, scale matters. Um, and so uh, one of the biggest challenges was access to capital um, among minority-owned companies. And so uh, a lot of people in the room um, had this perception that the reason why private equity managers or VCs weren't investing in the businesses because they were black or Hispanic. And I was like, I don't know, that might be, that might have been the case um, when the people who are leading these companies started their businesses 20, 30, 40 years ago. But um, I, I just didn't believe, or I had a hypothesis that people weren't sitting in the room saying, oh my God, we can't invest in a company. It's ran by a black person that would make us look so bad or right. the, the business it can't it can't succeed you know i don't think that was like the 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 way the reason why it was an issue today right that that's how it, that's what caused the problem um and created a big disparity but now might be time to reach out and to build bridges and to um because i i also found out in that process that nobody in the room who was seeking to solve that problem knew any vcs hmm. and so i'm like does anybody talk to a venture capitalist or a private equity manager in this room and they were all board members and i'm like wow these are people who are uh, high-level executives, sometimes C-suite executives at major corporations. Um, sometimes these are business owners who have substantial companies, but not one of the people in that room on that day, I remember I was in Cincinnati, had ever spoken with a private equity manager. Wow. I was like, hmm, guess I'm going to do that. Right, right. <laughs> That's awesome. Way, way to step in the gap. You know, I think there are defining moments in everyone's life where we say, Hey, you, you feel something, you know, it's like a nudge. It's feels like fate. It feels like uh, your spidey sense, you know, like Spider-Man has goes off and you're like, wait a second, this, this is my time. This is my time to, to step in the gap uh, and, and be a, be a, be a bridge builder, uh, you know, which you mentioned. And just be curious um, and open-minded, you know? And so in that, in that process of, reaching out and exploring, okay, what if we set up a fund to invest in minority businesses? How owned businesses, how would that work? Um, perhaps these are awesome companies and on, it's a two-sided marketplace. There are people who are looking for a good deal flow and they just don't know where to find it. So this could be leg up for them. Um, uh, and there are, on the other end of the marketplace, there are people who are looking to raise capital and they just don't know fund managers and so it sounds like um an opportunity so that was how i started the conversation and how i met cvcs so that, that's how that's helpful context to know hey this is how it started and there's that whole meme right now it's like how it started how it ended or you know how it started how it's going now sort of thing and i, I wonder if you could share just a bit about um when you started to build those bridges when you started to step into the gap how was that received by uh, the folks you worked with and, and even the, the folks who were seeking funding? Was it kind of smooth sailing or were there some choppy waters to work through? How I mean, I was just doing this nights and weekends for fun. I'm researching. And so um, I, I met um, a VC, a managing partner of Entity Ventures. And he was like, hey, why don't you come work with us? Um, and I'll show you the ropes. But they, 
they were um, in between funds. So they didn't have a fund. And for those who aren't um, as familiar with venture, they run on management fees, right? So 2% of the funds raised will pay for operations. And they didn't have a fund that had management fees to pay for um, my salary because they were in between funds. They were working on raising funds. And so nights and weekends, I'm like, I'll just do research, right? I love doing research anyway. So I'll, I'll do your market landscapes. And um, they was like, okay. And they're, they're, I wasn't even paid to do it. I just had a full-time job working like 8 a.m. to midnight. And I'd go to this 24-hour coffee shop in the short north. At the time, there was one um, nearby. And I would just work until 2 a.m. on market research for fun, which happens to be the job of, uh, like a lot of the job of an associate uh, is building market landscapes for due diligence. Um, and um, seeking deal flow. And so I was doing the job for free, essentially, until um, one of the partners is like, oh, you know, um, don't let them blow smoke up your ass. We don't have enough funds to pay your salary. And I was like, I know I do math. And then I'm like, but just give me a shot. Pay me just enough to pay to pay my rent. They didn't know at the time all my other bills. I just was like, I'm going to focus on credit cards. But I was like, um, just just barely enough. You guys can come up with that. I'll come in full time and raise money for the fund. And if I don't raise money for the fund to pay my salary, then just fire me. And they said, okay. And um, I was fortunate. They gave me, they, they came up with the money to pay my salary and then um, decided to invest the time to mentor me and teach me um, what they knew about the business and give me a shot. And and then I did. I raised a couple million for the fund. Nine months later, I was able to keep my job. Wow, that's awesome. I think it really speaks to your, you leaned into what you love to do, research. You leaned into the opportunity, the moment. Uh, and then you say, you know what? I'm going to juggle this with, it, 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 wasn't a, it wasn't a yes or no, it was a yes and. You know, you're going to continue what you're doing, really put in the extra effort at night. Um, did you ever wake up the next morning and like, and like, wait, hold on a second. What did I just research last night? Where am I? You know, what, what's up? What's down? Man, that was, I was tired, but I mean, I've always been <laughs> juggling a bunch of things. Yeah. You're used to that. Used to that. Keeping, keeping things in the air. So then fast forward. So I know that you were, were in that venture capitalist firm for, for, a, for a, a hot minute, um, four or five years, it looks like based on the LinkedIn creeping I did. Um, and then it's when you and I chatted the other day, it sounds like you were, you're getting close to kind of settling in and putting your roots in and saying, yeah, this is me, man. This is going to be kind of my life for a while. Can you share a bit about oh, yeah. that, that phase of life? Yeah. I mean, I was being offered partner in the next fund and I raised a couple million for the previous one and I had more teed up for the next fund. And for those who aren't familiar, when you, when you lock in uh, fund, you lock in and your partner, um, it's really hard to find if you're written into the doctor. And you gotta do um, something really bad. <laughs> you're locking in your salary for like 10 years. Wow. And, uh, wow. Or five to 10 years. And so I'm like, um, I, didn't, I didn't come from a, a background privilege. So I was like, man, this is making it. Um, yeah. And, and so I was working on that. That was exciting. 
But more importantly, I loved working with entrepreneurs. I was mm. having a lot of fun starting to lead deals um, and just being helpful to people. And then next thing you know, some of the founders are like, I, I want I want Calvin to be on my board. And I was like, wow, that's such an honor. And yeah, I'll, and the partners were, were, um, so were supportive of that. And so I was really enjoying the experience um, when, I, when I decided to start Rogue. So it wasn't part of my plan to become right. a founder. Right, yeah, I, I know it can be tricky, um, you know, being with other entrepreneurs and uh, being around that world a bit. I know it can be tricky to move from a full-time gig to the entrepreneurial life. Um, what did that look like when you were kind of making that decision? How did, how did the idea of, of Rove and the energy behind it and the, because there, there's gotta be a moment where you say, yep, I'm out from this other, this other world and now I'm transitioning into the, to the startup world. What was that like? Yeah, it was, um, it was a tough decision. Um, the, the hardest part was knowing that I'd let people down. I let my partners down at the firm um, because I was becoming an a, a, a important part of the, the strategy and was helping raise the next fund. I was going to let down some founders. I would have to step off boards, people who um, I really believed in and wanted to be an advocate for. And, and I didn't want to let people down. But at the same time, I felt a calling to solve this problem. And it started with uh, an investment thesis. Um, but I just happened to be personally um, motivated with the chip on my shoulder about this specific um, sector and wanting to democratize access to ownership in real estate. Um, and I was passionate about, I was diving into prop tech, fintech solutions, blockchain technologies in smart cities. Those were the landscapes I was working on and I was really excited about. And Rove, making it easy for everybody to own in our communities, um, uh, what became Rove um, was just an investment thesis that now was the time um, to, for investing in and owning real estate through a digital experience to go mainstream, the way owning Bitcoin um, became mainstream because of Coinbase's experience or mm. investing in public equities and individual stocks and $1 increments became accessible because of Robinhood's experience. And why can't we have that experience in real estate? Why, why do I have to own a home to own in the community? I just want to own the building I live in. And in the process of looking for a deal to invest in, um, I met Brett Kaufman, a major developer in town. Um, and he was introduced to me by a friend, of a mutual friend, Mike Schott. And Brett, within five minutes of meeting me, we're in his office drinking coffee and um, talking about this landscape and why I'm so passionate about it, my personal experience and my family, um, and just the, the, the reason this has to change. And he said, I agree with you, cut me off. He said, you know what, if you start this company, I'll invest um, 100K. Um, and I was like, great. I know some co-founders, you know, we, we can pull a team together. I'll convince the partners to invest in it and maybe I'll be on the board. We got to find a CEO. He's like, nope, if you don't lead this company, I'm out. Wow. Like, Man, oh, this is not my plan. I didn't, you know, this is crazy. And I saw I said, no. Uh, and he said, well, just think about it. You're way too passionate about it. 
Like, this is going to be your baby. And so I, I slept on it. And, you know, I, I've come to a worldview about venture. Um, one of the lessons I've learned um, that I think was what not to do um, was that uh, it's not helpful for the VC to want to lead the company. It's much better to write the check and be an advocate, give advice, provide help. You can't really helicopter in and run a business. And so um, it dawned on me as I was falling asleep. I'm like, dang, I'm really not going to be a good board member. Mm. I, we were a great yeah. CEO. I'm going to be all over this. I'm not going to be a good co-investor because I'm too emotionally uh, involved in this problem. And so Brett's right. So I quit my job wow. and had like three months of runway. <laughs> That's a short run. out of money <laughs> at first. Dang. No, I, I think what's what's encouraging about your story is that you you let your convictions lead to choices, you know, and those choices led to probably a, a path you may not have scripted for yourself, but by by leading with your heart and leading with your your convictions, you said, okay, I'm going to plant the flag. I'm going to go after something, a problem that needs solved in the world, and that that to me is armed and generous. That to me is is you saying like, because you could have done anything, right? You could have stayed at the VC. You could have started some other for-profit business but instead you said let's there's a real problem that you've experienced personally and let's let's change that and let's let's start with the city you live in right you know instead of saying hey we're going to try and hit new york or la and i know that rose in other markets as well um but it's really as a as a fellow uh bus resident you know it's really encouraging to see you you know pour love into the city that way so that's pretty awesome Thanks. Yeah, it really starts with um, what do you enjoy doing or what can you do and pour your energy into that other people would see as like, like painful. Mm. Whatever that is, you should probably keep doing it. Yeah, I, it's funny because people I work with or, or people I interact with or family, they'll get so excited about something. They'll say, man, I just can't wait to do like a, a finance spreadsheet or something. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, that sounds, that sounds like, you know, pulling teeth, but for our, I might say, Hey, I'm excited to go create a new concept for a commercial or for advertising. And they're like, wow, that sounds really, really boring. I'm like, really? That sounds kind of exciting to me. So it's, it's cool to hear that, you know, our, our giftings and the things that we are, we are good at, um, you know, other people might look at it and say that's strange or that's taxing. Uh, but for us, it's, it's exciting. So right. Cool. So wherever, like to do anything well requires struggle and dedication. So mm. whatever struggle you enjoy most, <laughs> that's probably where the gift is. Oh, I love that. So there, there is this, this housing boom that's happening and it's, it feels like, you know, people are buying and selling real estate and it's, it's hard to know how to get plugged into it it creates this major kind of FOMO feeling. I know you've talked a bit about, unless you're an accredited investor, AKA a millionaire, you know, it's hard to really get involved in commercial real estate investment. Can, can you walk through a little bit of the X's and O's of Rove, um, you know, through the app experience, how, how someone can invest and what that looks like? Yeah, it's really important to just kind of zoom out for a second and think about that, the first point you made about 
being an accredited investor and a millionaire, what that what that means, why, why that barrier is is challenging. So um, all of us, if you live in a major city, have seen cranes go up um, all around us over the past uh, decade or so. Um, our cities are being rebuilt around us. And um, in order to invest in the projects, the multifamily housing, the commercial space, the retail that is gentrifying our communities, in order to invest, you have to be an accredited investor, meaning you have to be a millionaire. Um, you have to have a million dollars of net worth, not including your home, or a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in income. And so for the vast majority of us, we don't fit in that category. So when you're walking down the street, it's obvious that a community is, is um, developing and that it's coming together. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know how to make money as a real estate investor hmm. uh, in our cities, but it does take a millionaire. Hmm. And so that is a problem. Um, and uh, don't get me wrong, I think I am Team Yimby, yes, in my backyard. We need to develop more housing for more people at every price point. But so many of our problems are birthed out of the solution to our last problem. So economic development, um, attracting high-paying jobs to our communities, investment in our, in our cities is great. And building more housing is important. Um, but as we do that, as we solve this, this problem of supply, creating supply to meet demand, um, when we succeed, right, and there's more affordable housing, we will have another problem. And that problem is that people who live in our cities won't own it. And so that's what, why Rome exists. It exists to make um, ownership in our communities more accessible to people all around the world. And in order to do that, in order to make investing in commercial real estate mainstream, it, you, you have to think about it the same way and create a, an experience the same way that Coinbase did for Bitcoin or Robinhood did for investing in public equities. And so Robe essentially is that. It's the Coinbase or the Robinhood for real estate investing, uh, but with a social component. When you download our app, you create a profile, you follow projects that inspire you. Maybe you live in the building or maybe you're familiar with it, um, or maybe you just want to invest in a developer or development in another city that you appreciate for both return on investment and return on community. Um, you follow each other. And the social aspect of this is so important because real estate is part of our built world and it's inherently social. So cool. You know, you, you had mentioned something just now around uh, return on investment, which is a pretty common phrase used in the business world. Uh, but then you also said return on community or ROC. Can you expand on that a bit more? Kind of what, what your vision for that is and what Rove can do to kind of propel that? Yeah, um, there's been an important shift in how we do business globally. Um, two years ago, Business Roundtable, a consortium of the world's largest corporations announced, you know what, the purpose of a corporation isn't just to maximize shareholder value, 
is to maximize stakeholder value, which is more expensive. And some of that's driven by um, consumer preferences, demanding more from brands that they want to spend their money with. Some of it's driven by employee advocacy. Uh, advocacy. Um, but a lot of it is, is now being driven by um, investor activism, where people are getting together on social media, whether that's Reddit, Twitter, creating memes around uh, things to communicate their values, but then collectively investing and moving markets. And so now an ESG, environmental social governance, uh, is so important. It's talked about in every boardroom. Uh, it impacts how corporations do business. Um, and the same can happen for real estate. But where we are today, we're in the E-Trade days of real estate investing a lot. Uh, we're in the MySpace days. Uh, but where we are going is we're going to a place where people can come together and invest. Some will just invest for ROI, but many will invest uh, with the perspective that ROI is table stakes, like what else? Um, and, and, and that's going to really have an impact on real estate, given that banks, family offices, credited investors, the people who finance deals today don't necessarily reward developers or um, property owners for things that don't fit nicely into a spreadsheet and impact net NOI, net operating Mm. No, I love that. There's um, Mark Pritchard, who's the chief branding officer of Procter & Gamble. They're that little soap company uh, in Cincinnati. He, he said some, I'll probably butcher his quote, but he basically said, you know, every brand needs to stand for something. If you're, if you're not standing for something, you won't be standing in the future. And you know, he's coming from a perspective of consumer packaged goods brands. Who have, a lot of them have been around for, for decades and decades and really only stood for the benefit of the product, right? So you know Tide, it's, it's gonna do great for laundry or you know, toothpaste is gonna keep your teeth white. Um, but there, there was a trend that started in the CPG space where it was uh, always, you know, it's feminine hygiene, but it's, it's like, like a girl campaign where they said, hey, at the age 12, a, a girl's confidence uh, really plummets. What does it mean to swing like a girl, run like a girl? Let's, let's make that a positive thing. Um, so that, that was kind of happening several years ago. And what's, what's encouraging is it's, it's getting into different sectors. You know, it, it's not just CPG or it's not just technology. It's not just FinTech. And what gets exciting for me is, is the work that you're doing is, is it's so physical. Even though it's a digital, Rove is a digital tool, it, it plays with, with the physicality of what it means to live in a community, what it means to prop each other up, what it means to look out for your fellow man, you know, and, and all, of, all of the things that we were taught in kindergarten, right? Like, you know, it, if, if you know, the golden rule, right? Treat others as you want to be treated. It's like, man, I would, I would love to be a part of, of the growth that's happening in Columbus and be a part of it and kind of see this one plus one equals three thing happening. Uh, when we all invest in each other. So that's really cool. I'm really, really encouraged by that. Thanks, absolutely. So kind of the, the classic interview question, where do you see yourself in five years? 
uh, is there, as you, as you peer over the horizon of, of Rove, what's, what's coming up the pipe? Is there any, any new feature or function? Is there five years from now, will you partner with Uber flying taxis to do something or, you know, is, is there anything you can share that's kind of down the road? Oh yeah. Five years, people all around the world will be able to download our app um, and invest as little as a dollar per share um, in a, a real estate, commercial real estate and invite a friend in one minute. Uh, and so that's, that's about to happen. In the, uh, and so how wonderful when somebody who lives in Venezuela can download our app and use Bitcoin to buy commercial real estate in New York uh, or um, every renter uh, in every major city will have options to live in properties that also allow them to be investors, right? Um, or when we go to neighborhood meetings or zoning meetings or uh, neighborhood commission meetings, uh, one important part of the conversation is I understand this is going to be value add, but what value adding to the community beyond housing? Um, mm -hmm. How about it becomes normalized? How about we normalize community ownership where people who live there can also be investors? Um, and so that is going to be normal in five years. It's not going to be um, a, a big idea. It'll be like, how did that never happen before? Um, right. Yeah. And then in 10 years, maybe we'll partner with Elon Musk to make it easy for everybody on earth to um, syndicate and invest in real estate or new development um, on other planets like uh, Mars or maybe probably on the moon. So yeah, we we'll, we'll probably partner with Tesla to make that happen. That would be awesome. I'll speak it, in, I'll speak it into existence, <laughs> Tesla and SpaceX. Right, Elon, Elon, if you're listening, I know, I know <laughs> you don't on podcast, but... <laughs> if Elon Musk builds a Tesla factory on the moon... Right. We want to partner with them at Rove to ensure that everybody on Earth has a shot at owning a piece of that and being a part of that. Um, that's what we want to do. That's I love that. I love that. No, they, they talk about projects being moonshot projects that are kind of far-reaching. You said, no, nah, man, I'm going to go for the Mars shot project we're going, <laughs> going further than a yeah, moon. yeah so you know shoot for mars and maybe we'll land on the moon and right that'll be a moon shot and so there you Elon, go. Uh, yeah if he wants to build a factory i want to list that on the robot that's awesome i'd invest in that i'm down you know yeah. um what's cool too kind of going back to your your journey a bit and your path and knowing that we we all have different decisions and choices to make and different kind of versions of ourself that could exist. You know, we're not going to get into like the butterfly effect or anything like that right now, but there, there, there could be a version of you that stayed in the VC world or started a different, a different company or something that was more profit driven or did not have a kind of armed and generous component. Uh, but you didn't, you know, you stuck to your convictions and, and here you are today uh, kind of thriving in this space. So if you were if you were to sit down for coffee with someone, I know you like cold brew iced coffee, so I'm sure that's what you're drinking. Uh, but imagine you're sitting down with, there you go, there you go. Imagine you're sitting down with someone and, and they're saying, hey, I'm, I'm just getting the itch. I'm just kind of coming into clarity with my convictions. What, what advice would you give them uh, in terms of how, how they can get started, how they can get rolling? 
just do it. Um, don't wait for Tuesday to do what you can do on Monday. That'll preach. Now there's, um, it's interesting to me there. I was talking with someone the other day and they, they said, you know, the difference between someone who accomplished someone, something and someone who didn't is the fact that they just, they just did it. They just created it. So I guess that the, the Nike tagline holds true. Just do it. And uh, one, one foot in front of the other, right? Fell for it. And um, that's it. You know, mm. and do it well, whatever you're doing right now, um, do it well. That's awesome. All right. So last question, this is, is very tactical, but if, if folks want to get involved with Rove, uh, just talk us through the steps of downloading the app where we can follow you on social website. This is the time to plug, man. Let's. Oh yeah. 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 So visit us at rove.com, R-H-O-V-E.com and download our app. We're in the Apple app store. Android's coming soon. Um, just download it, create a profile. You can invite friends, follow projects. Um, you can make investing in real estate a priority and deposit funds into your Rove account now and you'll earn a 5% APY. Uh, so Rove Earn, upgrade your account. Uh, that's some of the best rates in the, in the market. Um, and so we'd love for you to join our community. Uh, if you believe that everybody should have the access and opportunity to own our cities, then you should be in our app. Calvin, I love it, man. Appreciate you. Thank you for loving on Columbus. Thank you for following your convictions and thank you for being armed and generous. Thanks. I appreciate you. All right, man. We'll speak soon. Be well. Yeah. Well, it's time for our Triple T takeaways where we look at examples in the episode where time, talent, or treasure were used to become armed and generous. The one key part of Calvin's story is how he gave his time and talents to the Ohio Minority Supplier Council. This is where he helped corporate members connect with minority-owned companies. It was interesting to hear his background and hear his story and hear about the efforts that he put into to bring this really to life. For example, he said how his little actions were able to add up to big results. This snowball started when he realized no one really took the time to see how these companies were performing. So he dove into the existing database, he looked at the research, and then he really got into it. But he didn't stop there. He published an economic impact report, and he made something unknown known, and then he let everyone know about it. What's one thing in your world that's unknown? Can you start to chip away at an answer and then share this out with others to see? Curious to see what that would look like in your world. You know, through this, he unearthed a gap that existed, and then he worked to fill that gap by pursuing venture capital organizations. That's what really landed him his gig at a VC. He then spent nights and weekends working hard to build out his role and carving out his own spot. So my question to you is, where do you see gaps in your company? Where do you see gaps in your community? And how can you go above and beyond to fill these? You know, Calvin shared about how he grew opportunities in his world. And I can see a bit of a formula taking shape. It sounds like from his perspective, it starts with a love for craft, a focus on solving a problem in society, doing excellent work where you are planted, and then leveraging your social capital leading to your next thing. He actually argued that social capital and asking for partnerships and connections is actually more beneficial than financial capital in terms of reaching your goals. So here's my question to you. 
how are you starting to think about this formula? Here's how I've laid it out. Love what you do, do well unto others, do a great job, do more than just raise money and your job, raise your hand and open your mind to new possibilities. How can you apply this formula to your career? How could this shift your mindset? And then lastly, at Rove, Calvin and team, well, they're creating something bigger than business. They're tapping into new investor interests with organizations that provide value beyond shareholders. He mentioned that in addition to ROI, retail investors today care about ROC, which is return on community. Knowing that investors and consumers are starting to care more about the positive community impact, what can you start to do within your organization? Can you develop strategies or projects or programs that benefit the community in tangible, measurable ways? And then what would it look like in your next kickoff meeting, in your next quarterly wrap report to include ROC, return on community, as part of the metrics in addition to ROI and other standard business measurements? Consumers demand it, investors want it, so let's figure out a way to introduce ROC as a standard go forward. You know, Calvin and team, well, they're doing some pretty amazing work at Rove. They're living the armed and generous life by delivering a healthy ROI and ROC and much, much more. So if you'd like to learn more and download the Rove app, visit rove.com slash get app. That's R-H-O-V-E dot com slash get app. For more episodes and content, visit armedandgen.com or follow by searching armed ampersand generous on LinkedIn. As always, remember, doing good leads to growth. Now let's get out there and let's be armed and generous.